Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 409. I hope you are all well. Um, thank you for tuning in, guys. Today's guest is a fantastic one. It's the amazing Sophie Willen. Um, she, as we discuss, had her pilot for a TV show that she, she wrote, created, starred in um, Alma's Not Normal, come out the first week of the pandemic get commissioned for a series the second week of the pandemic and then however further on she won a BAFTA for it but she's got a fantastic story and I really wanted to sit down I'm really enjoying the series as you listen to this it's out now on BBC iPlayer with episodes airing Mondays on BBC 2 at 10 p.m it's called Alma's Not Normal but it's also as I said there's loads of other stuff that we wanted to talk about so I was delighted to get to get Sophie on. Uh, we had a few technical issues with the Zoom, but that all got smoothed out. And I'd imagine Buddy Peace is the best producer in the world, so you probably won't even notice that. But I thought I'd warn you of it. Um, oh, and also, how am I sounding, man? I've got I've I've got I've I've got new gear for the first time in the s- seven or so years I've been doing this podcast. Um, after asking you guys online for recommendations, I got the um, Shaw. MV7 uh, USB and XLR mic because that was one that you guys I tweeted about it and you guys were raving about that and I'm feeling it man I think it sounds good I hope you think it sounds good I'm I probably need to get used to the the levels and find where I need to be but um yeah I hope you like it anyway before we get into this um I, I mean two people that we mentioned on this in fact a few people we mentioned on this podcast that are previous guests if you want to go and check their episodes out we mentioned J- jade adams we mentioned gus khan we mentioned tez Ilias, we mentioned rob parker all of those are previous guests we mentioned michaela cole we mentioned daisy haggard <laughs> we mentioned um ashley b we mentioned a lot of people who are previous guests so you might want to go and check the, the uh, them out we mentioned the people just do nothing lot so yeah, everyone we mentioned I've had on before, so it's worth digging into the back catalogue. Those episodes and this episode are brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's my label and my web store. There's podcast merch, there's my music merch, my spoken word merch, there's DVDs, there's all sorts. Head over there if you want to support the podcast or just want to look good in this summer slash autumn slash winter we got you covered. Um, and you can also head over to patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip to get on the Patreon crew. I think we're lining up a Zoom hangout soon with the Patreon lot. So that'll be happening. Check that out. Yeah. Let's get on with the podcast. This is episode 409 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Sophie Willen. Right, I'm here today with Sophie Willen. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. How was your grapefruit juice this morning? It was fabulous. You, you saw that I was showing off because I made yeah. my own grapefruit juice. Yeah, I got up, I juiced three grapefruits this morning. That was impressive. What a start to the day, right? 
Well, that's what I thought, because I had lots of interviews today. I thought, you know, to do them justice, I should juice a few grapefruits, wax them ice in, put it in a jug. Look at that. Finish the jug. Do you think all this TV industry has changed you? Would you have been juicing a few grapefruits a few years back and whacking them in an icy jug or, you know? Well, do you know, I've always loved a grapefruit, to be honest. It's my (laughs) favourite fruit. My grandma used to have them every morning. She'd have half a grapefruit, but then she'd put a shitload of sugar on top of it. Yeah. And then put it in the fridge and it'd go hard. Brilliant. For the night. Yeah, it's like icing. Yeah. So she was kind of half healthy. She had a good intention. Yeah. She had a, a fried spam sandwich and a grapefruit covered in sugar. So it's kind of. Yeah. A, mm. a, a bowl full of sugar helps the grapefruit go down. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I love it. Yeah. So, so how are you in general? How's, how, how have you been? It's been obviously a weird year for everyone, but, but you've had the juxtaposition of amazing career success alongside a global pandemic you know it's been mad really yeah winning a BAFTA from the pilot (laughs) getting a tv show making the tv show all of this amazing stuff but also the world's kind of breaking so how's that been as as an ups and down juxtaposition yeah quite a weird dichotomy isn't it really because yeah, I mean, there's a bit of you thinking, you know, what's the point sometimes? Yeah. You, you make a make a, a show, but actually, you know, who knows if we'll survive this next year. But then yeah. as we're coming out of it, there's a bit more optimism, isn't there? Yeah. I think being able to go to the shop again, sit in the pub, you do feel a bit more optimistic, don't you? There was a kind of good positive for me, though, in the fact that I could actually write for a year without yeah. any distractions. It was basically like being in a writing cave for a year. You know, so in that way, it's quite positive. That's a blessing, right? Because particularly with TV, there can often be a lot of pressure and deadlines and rushing. And I think where, at least at the start of the pandemic, no one knew what was happening. I think it might have, it took the pressure off a lot of people who otherwise Mm. might have had a bit more. We need this now, you know, we need to get moving. And there was no work, was there? So it's kind of helpful. You know, if nobody's working, you don't feel you should be or... There was nothing coming in other than writing this sitcom. So in that way, it was really helpful. Yeah. It was a very tricky time for everybody, very yeah. unstable time, you know, with work and especially the comedy industry. So yeah. much of it's live and everything's shutting down. So, you know, wanting to celebrate but not not rub it in. There's a fine line, really isn't is. there? It's like this morning when I was juicing that grapefruit <laughs> and putting it on the internet. Am I celebrating? Am I showing off? It's a you know fine I mean? balance. Well... There's loads I want to talk about. I want to talk about your route into comedy. I want to talk all about Hours Not Normal because I'm loving it. I want to talk about the importance of diversifying uh, an industry that's a lot of middle-class people who went to private schools. Mm. I want to talk about everything, essentially. But I want to start by discussing the fact that I think The Circle is the best reality TV show ever. (laughs) <laughs> um, and you're the you were the voice of the circle. It's great, isn't it? As it, it was so weird how I I watched the first season purely by chance. I was cats sitting for my mum, and her sky wasn't working, so I only had f- f- five channels. I slung it on, and I became addicted. It's wonderful, isn't it? Because it's reality TV that's not being horrible. As simple as that sounds. Yeah, it's, really it's just good really fun. nice and lovely, and they seem to get quite nice people rather than looking for who's going to be. Yeah, a villain. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. It's a shame yeah. they're not bringing back the UK version, unfortunately. I couldn't believe it because this last one was the best. Yeah, I was fully on the on 
on the Manrika train and 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 hoping her and Uncle Said all of it. I'm, you, I mean, I won't get too in deep because there's a lot of people who probably yeah, isn't going to have a clue. But it's great, now. isn't it? How was that <laughs> to do the voiceover for? And how is that kind of voiceover work? It's obviously a a different skill and area, right? It's a different skill and area, but again, it's still kind of comedy in a way. You know, you you're commentating, you're making jokes, you're having a laugh. So it was really good fun. I worked with a writer, Lee Gant, who's also brilliant. We had a real laugh. You're in this space together for hours and hours and hours. I mean, it's like you get there in the morning or whatever, and then you're there till like 10 p.m. at night, and it's just me and Lee in a room together for hours. By the end, you know, we'd gone delirious, the pair of us. I remember one night, I think I was yodelling, and he was pretending to do like a fake air trumpet, and I would just look to him and said, we've gone mad. We've got to get out. <laughs> But you become very close to people. He's yeah. very mellow, and I'm not so mellow. So he had to adapt to my energies. You know, we had a lot of a laugh. So it's, got, it's got to be the perfect combination for that kind of thing then. Yeah, it was Because with fun. voiceover stuff, you don't want it to be too static and and relaxed. But then obviously you, yeah. you possibly don't want it to be absolutely bonkers. So that combination of, of the mellow and the not so yeah. mellow must be a lot of fun. It was fun just kind of getting to know each other and just accepting each other's very opposite personalities. Like when I came in, because he'd been on the US version yeah. before me, and he'd just been very comfortable, or not comfortable, but just miserable, sat on a table and a really, well, with a little table and a really uncomfortable chair, plastic chair. And he'd been there for six weeks in this massive, sparse room. Anyway, I got there, I said, Oh, this is horrible. It's dead depressing. And I found a storage cupboard that they had with all the bits that they'd not used um, for yeah. the flats. And I just kitted out our room. I had plants. I had different lightings. He had his own reading chair with a light so he could relax into it. So I really helped him embrace his inner diva, I think. I probably created a monster. It. He's on the um, American show now, so I'm sure he's got a, a very intense rider with a chaise longue. I mean, you know. speaking of, I, I need to to come on to this immediately now because speaking of of opposites and embracing inner diva the um the wonderful version in friendship of 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 you and and jade adams is 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 a joy and (laughs) and and jade was saying that you two were um at at mighty hoopla um at the beginning of the week and it Mm. was it was a a sight to behold do you you enjoy getting (laughs) to embrace the the outer diva rather than the inner diva and just go all out at um, events or festivals or whatever else. Well, it was really fun at this one because me and Jade accidentally packed uh, the same outfit. <laughs> we had a lilac two-piece suit and then I had a lilac crop vest and, and a yellow jacket. She had a yellow, yellow crop dress and a lilac jacket. I'll send you the pictures. I love it. Bizarre. It's not so we like just, we happened to, to pack even... the same thing and it was like a black dress or something standard. This is quite, you know, they're bold choices anyway. I mean, bright lilac. Lilac and yellow, who'd have thought? Very good combo. So, yeah, that was very good fun. We had a really good laugh, actually. So it's nice It's nice after Alma to celebrate, you know, with everybody, yeah. really. And the other cast members, you know, it's been lovely celebrating with them, James and Katie, catching up with them when, when, when I can and stuff. So it's, it's been fabulous, yeah. I love it. Well, I mean, I've seen loads of people asking if Alma is based on real life or not. And basically, some of it is, some of it isn't. So let's move on from that boring question. But can I just, (laughs) but but can I just kind of find out about what your, your your upbringing was like a little bit? Because you grew up in Bolton, right? And what I love about Alma's Not Normal, um, 
even about I think a lot of the things the BBC are doing, you know, about people just do nothing. Kind of about this country is they're looking at characters and areas and themes that would often be demonised or looked down upon or sniggered at mm-hmm. in other TV yeah. throughout history. But you're not laughing at them. You're just showing them and going, no, look, these are these people. They're not, they're, they're weird. <laughs> like there's some weird characters in yeah, here, but yeah. we're not putting them on screen to go, oh, look at these. Not no. punching below, yeah. isn't it? And I think you can always tell when you see something that's yeah. punching below and it feels disconnected. These people don't know these people. They've seen yeah. them from a distance and they're trying to laugh at them or tell their story. It always feels awful. When it's people you know and you've lived with and it's your story and it's their story, you're always coming with love and empathy, aren't you, which has to be at the root of it, really. I think. And that comes across, yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, a lot of it obviously is drawn from my experiences, but the, the telling my story started, well, really, in uh, when Cameron got into yeah. government, to be honest. The whole time... I just felt furious all the time because the demonising of people like my mum who, you know, has addiction problems and she's been homeless and she's been a streetwalker. She's had a lot of stuff and, and, and I've been a care leaver, so I've been in that, the care system and, 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 and all the class stuff and the welfare state, all of that demonising. My, my mum lost her council house and she lost, well, she lost her benefits because she was deemed fit for work, even though she wasn't. She lost her district nurse because they cut them. She lost uh, the local clinic where you could go and get your injections and stuff. That got shut down. So she was expected to get on two buses to get her injection. You know, and then she declined having been, you know, clean for like six, seven years. It all just completely fell down. And understandably, when that many rugs are pulled from under your feet, it's not surprising that you fall over. (laughs) You know, this. Yeah, and you've been housed next to four drug dealers because that's the housing area that they've put you in and your medication's not accessible. So, and then, you know, I was turning on the the telly and and watching like loose women, you know, annihilate Josie Cunningham and just thinking the work, it was just so upside down. I just felt furious watching Gary Barlow be the voice of the people when he's avoiding his taxes. Yeah. The whole thing, I felt very angry, which I think is a great place to write comedy from, actually. Not yeah. bitterness, but anger, which I think is a really loving emotion. felt anger and a lot of love for my mum and a lot of love for my family, and I wanted to kind of give an antidote, really, to, to all of that and, and, and explore people similar in, in Alma that um, often get, you know, people are frightened you know, of people like that. They hear a certain image from the media, from the world. They might see somebody on a tram like my mum or like Lynn and they they freeze up immediately like there's going to be a problem. So I think for me, I've felt since I did my first show about it in 2016, I just wanted to show the full full human beings, really. Yeah, and I think you do that amazingly in in the show. Um, And one line I made a note of, because there's a, a story going throughout about Alma deciding whether or not she, she wants to become a full-service sex worker. And she goes towards it and then goes away from it, which, again, I loved that, that it wasn't a straight, oh, let's try this. Mm. The fact that she went to try it yeah. and then said, oh, no, this isn't isn't for me. I'm not going to give too many spoilers because that, you know, that, that varies along the show. But I think it's in episode two or three. You There's a line which I've made this argument so many times online because m- – my partner is in the sex work industry, not f- full service um, online stuff and things like that. 
and again, it's such it's so weird that that industry and and the line you put, I've roughly noted it was why do we psychoanalyze sex workers and ask how empowered they are? We don't do it for any other job. Is Sue on the phones at telesales in the telesales office empowered? Yeah. And again, we do that all the time with that jobs. Are what's their their their, their, their mental health history? What's their are they happy? Do they love their job? Yeah. I've had millions of jobs I don't love. I've had I've had some jobs yeah. I do love. Yet it's this because of the taboo over sex work. And again, I really like how you drift yeah. from character to character, referring to it as prostitution, to referring to it as sex work. Because there are terms that, again, in the era of Cameron, mm. when they were demonising a lot of these things, prostitute or hooker or whatever else became mm. attacking language yet they also mm, mm, became just yeah. part of our language so people who don't know it's insulting will just use them so i really like that even mm. alma kind of seems to learn along the way of all oh, right i'm gonna refer to it as sex yeah. work or full service sex work or whatever else rather than i want to be a prostitute and so yeah. on and so forth so how was all that to get into and and write about i think for me it was really important because like you say everybody wants to psychoanalyze and everybody's got a really set opinion about sex work and what they think about it as a feminist yeah. issue and you know they politicize it it gets so politicized when actually it shouldn't be so politicized and what i wanted to do was rather than try and tell anybody what they should think and feel about it is just present all the sides of the discussion really and with yeah. nuance you know yeah, yeah. one of the things I loved about your writing in in Alma's Not Normal is um is the fact that your character and Jade's character argue a bit and go back and forth and it's so common and that's a really good way to get discussions and complex subjects across. I think Michaela Cole did it flawlessly in I May Destroy You the kind of the falling out and the the back and forth between the good friends. How important uh, uh, yeah. uh, was that to get across that this isn't a simple subject, have conflict between good characters? Neither of your two characters are bad, uh, are the bad guys. So to have conflict and difference of opinions is allows the viewer, I guess, to watch and not feel like they're being preached at or told that they're wrong for thinking this or wrong for being curious or whatever else. Yeah, I think it was really important for me that, I think again, about the escorting, wanting to present all sides of the debate, yes, it's impairing, yes, it can be disempowering, and just present it very fully with nuance rather than there being these very tribal, divisive ideas about what sex work is. And actually, through Leanne and Alm, it felt like a really good way to have that debate and discussion because ultimately these two people love each other. And I think that's often lost as well when we're having all these debates all the time on the internet or whatever. Actually, if you just connect with the other side of the story, you know, that felt important. And it's also lovely for uh, friends to have a yeah. big row, I think, because especially for Jade's character, for Leanne, you know, we've talked at length, you know, as Jade refers to herself as a fat person, which is the term she she says to use. And she said... You know, actually, for her, the way she'll get put on telly is interesting. So when I was writing Alma, I wanted to speak to her about, you know, sexuality, for example, different things. And when I was writing out uh, Leanne, I didn't want her to be the fat, yeah. fun friend. You know, I wanted to give her layers. You know, she's a sexual, sensual person, and her sexuality is not a joke. She can be a bit of a dick sometimes. She can be full of love. She can be a little bit judgmental. You know, so I wanted her to have more layers yeah. as well. Uh, and their friendship to be more complicated than just 
or look at these two, you know. I, I love that. And I think that level of nuance comes l- largely from giving a voice to working class writers because anyone from a working class family, you know, if you're in comedy, if you're in mm. entertainment, if you're in the arts, you're probably going to be reasonably left leaning. If you come from a working class yeah. background, you're going to have either gone to school with people or have people in your family who are leaning in the complete opposite yeah. d- direction. And those are people who can be won over or, or educated to a kind of more liberal way of thinking or a more positive, less harmful way of thinking, I guess. Um, but that comes from discussion and interaction and debate. It doesn't come from chastising and yeah. and having a go at someone or, or cutting them off, you know. And I think that comes yeah. across here and feels natural here in a way it maybe wouldn't have when we were getting so many series from, as we as I said at the start, middle-class, private school-educated Mm-mm. voices yeah because i think there seems to be a lack of empathy from people outside their yeah. own experience you know so i think that's the thing isn't it and i do think when you've come from you know varied or difficult or working class backgrounds you've met so many different types of people you've rubbed along together you've not rubbed along well together you know it is a bit more kind of forgiveness i think yeah and, and more understanding yeah for other humans yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. So kind of, I guess, speaking of, of different background stuff, what, what was your route into comedy? Because you've you've spoken about how you've come through the care system, you've had various different periods of your life and different varied experiences. Most of them aren't ones that necessarily traditionally lend you to think, oh, you'll definitely have a career in entertainment or in the arts. I know growing up in the part of Essex I've lived, my whole life the idea of being in entertainment was never discussed it was never an option it was never on the table so what was your route to kind of going no here's what I want to do I think that was my grandma really because she just really encouraged me she was one of my foster parents yeah Uh, she took me to Ibiza because she loved clubbing she'd just got divorced and uh, she'd got really into Café Del Mar and all that stuff. Amazing. So she, so she went off clubbing and I joined the Hotel Drama Club and that's when I got the bug. Loved it. I performed The Crying Clown and Grandma was at the back of the room with a cigarette and a large vodka and she just said, you've got it. She said, hey, Marilyn Monroe was an orphan. You could be the next Marilyn. So she's quite blunt like that. Amazing. And then when we got back, you know, she bought me Alan Bennett, the book, because she loved Alan Bennett, Talking Heads. Yeah. She introduced me to Mike Lee films. Before that, I think, as well, which was always with Grandma, trying to help me understand my experiences, you know, help, trying to help me understand that it's okay. You know, I remember watching Secrets and Lies about the the girl who's adopted. She meets Brenda Blathin. And, you know, all you're just finding all these stories that kind of give you some comfort in a way. Grandma loved Shirley Valentine, so I, I could recite the whole of Shirley Valentine by the time I was nine years old. It's one of my favourite films. So I think, you know, it was always around kind of these complex characters on screen and loved them, you know. Um, John Waters, Hairspray, Tracy Turnblatt, you know, yeah. the, the characters that were just outside of what was considered normal or people that had been through things. Again, it's a working-class story, isn't it, uh, Hairspray, yeah. that working-class girl. So, you know, 
grandma was brilliant in helping me me see these people that I could relate to. And just I was gonna I was gonna say exactly that it's the relating to, and it's why representation is so damn important yeah. in in this time yeah. in this era that we're going through of changing who is yeah. necessarily the default on screen. Because everyone you've listed there, they will have clicked with you because they're northern and working class. Yeah. And you can go, yeah. oh, right, that could be me. Rather than, oh, this is amazing t- t- to look at, but yeah. it's clearly so far out of reach. And everyone, like you've given an amazing list there, but they will have been at that time one or two films a year that were having mm, the, mm. that kind of representation. Thankfully, you had a grandma or a nan who who had almost put together that curated that collection for you to go. Here's here's what you've missed. Here's 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 what you can watch and yeah. be inspired by. I love it. Yeah. Well, she was very interesting because she got divorced and she was having this whole renaissance, very much like Joan, and uh, she got really into films and and she. You know, in, in some ways she was quite, you know, not always... Um, her parenting style was both brilliant and dreadful, if I'm quite honest with you. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? She was mad as a badger. Yeah. So it was intense, you know. But on the other side, she was fabulous. I mean, I remember sitting watching Thelma and Louise with her yeah. when I was about eight years old, and she'd be sitting there with a vodka and a cigarette going, this is power, you know. She was quite an intense woman, but... She was original and ahead of her, her time. So I think, you know, you're having these people in your life who inspire you, you know. She took a picture, she had a, found a picture of the first black female barrister, pinned it on the kitchen wall, and she said, remember, wow. you can do anything. So she, she was very ahead of her time like that. For Bolton as well. Yeah. She, she was friends with different races. She was friends with gay men. You know, she was talked about feminism in the cricket club. It did not go down well. She yeah. wore a zebra print onesie whilst talking about feminism. So she just didn't really care or play by the rules. And I think that had a big influence. And she kind of said, you can do anything. So for that, I'm, I'm very grateful to her, really. Yeah, so inspirational. So one of the early mm. themes in in Alma's is um, her reluctance to get a normal job, I guess. Was that, was that a similar thing for you? At that early age, you got the bug. But again, coming from working class backgrounds you're normally going to have to do something else for a period of time to put food on the table. I did loads of crap jobs, yeah. mate, loads. I, worked in, I remember at one point I worked three jobs. I used to work in a news agent with a woman who had insomnia, so she'd get you to get there really early in the morning. <laughs> I worked in a bookies, and I was so bad at the job. Yeah. It was a telephone bookies. I was very bad. I kept getting confused with the phones. Yeah. <laughs> and then I worked at uh, Subway, yeah. and I had a job at TK Maxx as well that same time. Nice. So I'm moonlighting loads of jobs. I had loads of waitressing jobs. I was always storming out, could never get on with chefs. Weirdly, my grandma, she's done loads of jobs. Like, she was a cleaner. She worked for Anne Summers. She'd done loads of waitressing jobs, and she's always got into fights with chefs. I threw a grapefruit at a chef once, <laughs> and I found out from my grandma she'd actually thrown a melon at a chef's head. So I... Amazing. That's why you've yeah. got a connection with grapefruit juice is it's been a, it's been a, a, yeah. a, a saviour in the past. I, th- <laughs> I think it can be yeah. really important for character to work a variety yeah. of jobs, but I also think it's really important quite early on to quit a job, yeah. to know your worth, to walk out on something. And that sounds kind of counterintuitive or the opposite of what we're taught, but I think it can be really important to go, you know what? you're not treating me well enough and I deserve better. Yeah. And I think that can really help, particularly in the entertainment industry where you 
can be very much pushed to feel that you're in a queue and there's someone waiting yeah directly behind you to take your place so yeah that's that's great to hear of those moments of kind of of working yeah, and hard feeling. and also going you know what fuck off this is rubbish <laughs> yeah i'm not doing and the this. feeling that you should be grateful i think in in this industry yeah. as well is silliness isn't it? it's that actually you're bringing a lot to the table yeah. you know and they they should be grateful to have you as well i mean it's that thing isn't it i think of getting over that because that could, and the imposter syndrome that comes with class is a big one isn't it yeah you know. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's an interesting one because I think my experience of that when I was doing music was years mm. later l- l- looking back at um, at Glastonbury, and Glastonbury I've mm. had some of my best gigs in the world there or in my life there. Sorry, but they've never paid very well, and the bulk mm. of them you've had to do for free because they trade off the fact the honour of playing at Glastonbury. Yeah, the and honor. I get that, but <laughs> Glastonbury without the artists. <laughs> Is yeah. a field, <laughs> is a Absolutely. field of some cows, and I think there's a similar thing with the fringe at time. The fringe is one of my favourite places to be, but yeah. the pressure to be up there and to be losing money and to be miserable and to be not having any days <laughs> off because yeah. you need to be there because otherwise someone else will take your slot, and it's an honour to to uh, to mm. be up there. It's a mad one, right? I always loved. I worked with Gaz Khan on a on a mm. film a while back and me and Gus proper connected and we talked a lot about real people and how important it is to meet real people and Gus always did his <laughs> comedy in the midlands he never fucked with the fringe he never fucked with the big london circuit Good for him, yeah um and when I was, ch- I was chatting to you at one point or chatting to jade about you at one point she literally said sophie's the realest person i've met and it instantly made me think right that's where me and Gus connected that was us going all yeah. oh, right I believe this. I believe yeah. the conversations we're having, and therefore I want you to go to the absolute moon with it. So, yeah. I guess how important is that finding those real people in such a in an industry where our job is to not be real? If you know what I mean, work wise, definitely. Tell wise, it's lie. <laughs> tell is not real, is it? It's yeah. like this weird bubble, yeah. and that's why I think when people get too stuck in that weird bubble, they can't write either because they can't write. They're disconnected from the rest of the world and the rest of the people in the country. And then on top of that, you know, you've got an industry that's full of privately educated people. They're a different ilk of people. There's nothing wrong with them, but they've been trained, conditioned in a completely different way to the rest of the country, the way they interact. You know, they're in a situation where they have to go to these schools and, and do social warfare really don't they they have to get status they have to say the right thing at the right time in the right room you know i I noticed it when i went to melbourne comedy festival and so many of them had gone to private school i thought that the way it fascinated me the way they communicated everything was kind of very calculated and considered and you know and there's nothing wrong with that but it, it it seems quite knackering to me i don't know how they keep it up it does seem exhausting yeah completely so so i mean <laughs> in which case it's, it it comes on nicely to something i want to talk about something i think is great about what you've done with almas is you've got this opportunity and it is it's a big break but in my opinion it's mm. the first step of a long journey in your career um but straight oh, straight you. off the bat you've gone i want to be aware of who I'm employing, of who I'm giving roles to, 
Yeah. B- behind the scenes and in front of the camera. And I want to talk about both. And it made me wonder if any of that came from working on on the Tez O'Clock show. Because I remember t- 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 talking to Tez when he got that opportunity and he was like, I want Northern comedian, Northern working class comedians on this show because I've been given this opportunity. I'm from Blackburn. I want, yeah, I'll, yeah I want to represent that. So was that an influence there or was that just something that was already in your mind that when I get this, when I get through the door, I'm fucking holding it open, you know? No, not not an influence, but I think me and Tez have always had a shared passion in that area, yeah. which is why we're friends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, it was just always what I had to do. I mean, when I've done my live stand-up shows, I've always put in an arts council bid and made sure that at least 10%, usually 20% of the tickets in the big venues and in all the small venues as well, go out to either co-experienced people, people of low-income families, uh, women uh, with addiction and mental health and housing issues, get free tickets to the show. Amazing. Deliver workshops in every every town that I've done when I've done shows, you know. So then for me, I've set up my own charity for care experience, people who want to get into the arts. So for me, it felt like there's no way I could... Stories for care or stories of care. Stories of care, yeah. So it just felt for me that if I was to do a sitcom, there'd be no way that it would not include, you know, behind the scenes, it should be, you know, we should be paying people and training them up so that they can get into telly from the inside and change the game that way. And as far as on screen, I mean, for me, I've just felt there's no way it couldn't be a show that's representative where I come from. And also not just where I come from, like having Jade on it, you know, having unusual, fearless women on screen that are all different, you know, because I find it frustrating sometimes you turn on the telly and the representation of women, and no offence because a lot of them are fabulous, but they're all the same, Mm -hmm. polite, harmless, middle-class women that are quite quick-witted, smiley and lovely, uh, but you'll have three of them. I, I always think, God, come on, take some risks. Yeah. You know, be, be a bit bolder. And so I wanted to be extremely bold and have three, four very intense women on your screen all at once and see how people digest it. Yeah. The reality is they digest it fine because it's just like their family's back home. Yeah. <laughs> but I think what happens in telly is because they all went to private school who, who commission it, they do like to go, well, I feel comfortable with them lot. And they'll commission women that they feel comfortable with to see on the screens. You know, they don't feel it's a bit of a threat. I think there's people like me and Jade and Siobhan and Lorraine that have got a kind of intensity to us and a harshness and a, and a, and a big in-your-faceness that can be often a bit off-putting uh, to commissioners or, or to people. I was going to say specifically to commissioners and because, again, it goes back to that familiarity. The reason yeah. all of those people that your nan sh- showed you, inspired you, was because you could relate. The reason these commissioners... Yeah. Are panicking is because they can't relate in, yeah. in in this this situation. But that's why it's important. That's why mm. it's meant to be sp- spread out. And again, it's mad to th- it's mad that I'm s- sit- sitting here thinking how inspiring and powerful it is that you've made a point of putting people from a similar background in these positions and g- giving them opportunities when the middle classes and the private school educated people have been doing that from day one yeah the nepotism (laughs) they've been putting people from their background in the roles in the opportunities opening the door for them Mm. so why should it be a surprise when the working classes do exactly the same it should be it should be a natural thing it should be a given right yeah and and also i wanted to prove that you know people like me and jade who are often told 
oh, there's one of you already, sort of thing. We can both be on the screen at the same time yeah. and nobody's going to steal each other's glory. You can support each other, both shine and be fabulous. There's no reason why we have to be in direct competition with all these brilliant, powerful, strong female actors, yeah. you know. So that, for me, was important, you know. Yeah, completely. And as as you say, you've got four actors, f- f- female actors and, and characters there that are all huge. They're big mm. and they're bold and they're risk-taking type characters. And it's not overwhelming and it's not too much. And it's not, mm. it's not, it doesn't overload your senses it's fine it it's it just needed to be allowed to happen you know rather than all the excuses that on paper this might feel a bit much like put it on screen it's not and yeah Yeah. sure enough yeah that's exactly how i I feel i feel really chuffed with that and i'm chuffed it worked because you never know do you so yeah i'm pleased exactly yeah well i'm i'm gonna bring someone up that probably won't have been brought up in any other interviews Mm -hmm you've done about this because it's it's one you cast one of my favorite people in the world in in uh episode four i think it was he's an actor called R- rob parker and he played the policeman in the in in, in a oh! flashback and i think rob is absolutely amazing and i think he could be an absolute superstar he he's acting part-time because he's got to put food on yeah. the table he's got yeah. a family to feed but I've never met anyone who is so natural and relaxed yeah. and comfortable on screen. And he's from Bolton. He's isn't from Bolton. He? He's, I've, yeah. I've visited him a couple of days ago, or a week or so ago, oh. before we lined this up, in fact. He's just moved to Preston. He's having a, a oh. lovely time. He was fabulous. Yeah, he was brilliant. Yeah, I was, was going to say, how important was that to give opportunities to, to people who aren't like a big name or, or, or got huge agents or whatever else? But. Are just good and a real and a yeah a, a yeah again a real a, pr- a proper really important because again it's about you know thinking in a few different ways practically speaking you want the sitcom to feel real yeah and represent the place so when people watch it they go yeah we know that feels real yeah. and then on a personal level it's just like as an actress from Bolton often thinking how do you get in how do you get in yeah they had a theatre in Bolton called the Octagon right it's a bit bit better now but there was a there was an old artistic director there and he put the play on love on the dole and i went to watch it and i went to the q a afterwards none of the actors it's a northern working class socialist play none of the actors were from the north of england they were all from london yeah. i couldn't believe it, it's mad, isn't it? So i know so i think for me on a personal level there's just no way i could feel comfortable to do that as well and it makes it so much better i mean Dave, who plays Bill as well, Jade Adams' uh, boss, yeah. he is brilliant. He did an open audition as well. We did two lots of open auditions for the pilot and then again for the series. He did the open audition for the pilot. He was brilliant. You know, we've added lines in for him. I, I wrote him bigger because he was so great. And yeah. that strong Bolton accent, it is very funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, it's been great. There's been Brian, who who is in the acting class, who does the bad Scottish accent. Yeah. Yeah. He was an open casting. He, he's never acted before in his life. Oh, he wow. did it on his phone with his brother was doing it in lockdown, the audition. You know, so I think it's just fabulous, isn't it? I think it feels really positive. It could, you know, lead on to loads of new acting opportunities for them. And for me, it makes the show fantastic and, 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 and gives it that authenticity, doesn't it? I so. completely agree. And that, and, and that rings true and rings th- through the screen. But speaking of the pilot... 
again, as someone mm. who who follows your, your friend Jade Adams online, um, I was very aware mm. when you won a BAFTA um, because <laughs> of a video that she shared that went absolutely viral and went absolutely yeah. loony. Can you talk anyone who hasn't seen it th- th- through that? What was the situation and where were you and uh, how that all played out? So I was filming uh, Alma in a, in Bolton and they put me up in a barn, a lovely converted barn. It was gorgeous so that we could stay there because I was in lockdown for six weeks. Yeah. I couldn't I had to be on set and then go home. Yeah. And I thought, if I'm stuck in my little flat with no outdoor space in Manchester, I'll go mad. I said, I said to the producer, I need to see a tree in the morning just so I don't go crazy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they put me in this barn. It's beautiful. And it was like shared barns with other people on the farm. Anyway, they, we're watching the announcement. I didn't realise Jade was filming it, but she's quite savvy, isn't she, with the social she media? Is, so she's a bit sneaky, actually. Yeah, yeah I've noticed she, she films you when you don't realise. I was complaining <laughs> at a bar about the prices. Next thing I know, it's a story on Instagram. You get to watch her, actually. <laughs> Love her. <laughs> anyway, she, uh, she film, filming it. We kind of turned away. We thought, oh, it's lovely little, you know, nomination, whatever, but wasn't expecting it. Turned away and then it said my name. I couldn't believe it. So I ran round the whole barn. I was wearing a sequin dress and stilettos, screaming, what the F, what the F. Woke all the neighbours' kids up that had just been put to bed. <laughs> I had to go and greet them, hug them, screamed at a tractor. Yeah. It was wild, really. I love the, <laughs> the excited apologies. And and thinking it's going to make any sense that your explanation is, I've just won a BAFTA. I was thinking, half of them are going to go, I don't know what's going on here. This is... <laughs> This is too much to take in, but it was a joy. I think it was pretty mad. Yeah, Yeah, for them, they were just like, what's going on, you know? Yeah. It was fabulous. It was a fabulous day. And then going straight on set the next day. Amazing. What a roller coaster. Did did it change the feeling on set at all? Did it make you even more aware that you're getting to do something exciting here? Or was it already just, oh my God, you know, we're making my show? I think it gave everybody a bit of a pick-me-up because we were in the final two weeks of filming and we were all knackered. With the COVID restrictions, it, it makes filming so much more difficult. Of course. My grandma had passed away on the second day oh, of filming. Mate, that's horrible to hear. I'm mm. so sorry. And she, she was in the, the kind of, you know, obviously it's inspired by yeah. Grandma Joan. So I was kind of every day acting these scenes that were kind of slightly inspired by my grandma whilst she just passed away. So it was a real roller coaster. She died on the second day of filming at 9pm. I woke up the next morning, got in my makeup show, and they said, oh, you've been nominated for a BAFTA. So it was just a roller coaster of emotions, yeah. you know. I had to go and tell my mum about her mother being dead. You're going through all those different things. I went to Grandma's funeral, which was actually fabulous, but we all wore leopard prints and um, we carried out the coffin to, I'm too sexy for my shirt, (laughs) because she loved it. Beautiful. You know, but it's like it was a rainbow of events. So by the time I won the BAFTA, it was that last oomph that we all needed to kind of just give give welly to the last two weeks, you know. Mate, uh, uh, for the... The best of us, this past year or two feels like it's been a weird dream. That must be next <laughs> level for you, from from absolute joy to absolute heartache. It must be, uh, are you getting any time to sit back and go, look what I've done, like, look what I've what? achieved in this, in this period? Well, I've not really had any time off because we went straight from writing to pre-production, straight to filming, then straight into the edit, and then literally I finished the... They said, we're going to go straight to pilot, I mean, to Erm, yeah. obviously on Monday. So it was a three-week window I've had. Yeah. But we did go to Mighty Hoopla and I did take a few days just 
Saturday, Sunday and Monday just enjoyed. Saturday, Sunday at Hoopla, then the Guardian feature came out and at yeah. first I was a bit uh, like freaked out with such a big feature and I was like, oh, God, it's happening. And then I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy myself and celebrate yeah. and just take a minute to savour these moments, you know, is important. So I went to Shoreditch House, had a glass of champagne and just took a moment to kind of, you know, be grateful and enjoy the journey. I think it's so important when it's such a whirlwind, isn't it? Yeah, you know? yeah. Again, for some reason, it's only j- 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 <laughs> just clicked that that was the Shoreditch House uh, rooftop pool in Jade's story <laughs> of you both enjoying yeah. features. On, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a hell it of a time. It was quite a m- lovely morning because she had a feature, I had one. Yeah. Jade's very good at going, come on, let's diva it up, which I really do appreciate because sometimes it's good to have someone embrace that and go, yeah, I'm celebrating me today, you know, so it's quite positive. Completely. Again, I think it's such a working class thing to go to not want to make a deal of anything or not want to mm. brag or show, Don't show off. off. But if you've, you if you've off worked you? bloody yeah. hard, then you deserve a moment yeah. or two, you know. And I think also when you're, you know, writer and you're so involved, you can get caught yeah. up in the industry. You can get caught up in the when's it airing, how do a reviews looking, yeah. uh, what are the viewing figures going to be, are we getting another series, this, that and that, what's next? And you don't get a moment to go, mate, as I said, look what we've done. Look what yeah, we've achieved life is here. Fabulous. And what yeah. a tribute to your nan, you know. What a beautiful yeah. thing to be able to go, look, I've immortalised you. Yeah. Well, she got to see the pilot before she died yeah. and she did love it. So that was That's wonderful amazing. because she was, yeah, she was just having this funny time just before she died, just going, oh, God, what have I achieved? Who am I? Oh, God, it was quite a weird time for her. Then the pilot came out. She just went, I'm so pleased with every rebellious decision I've ever made. (laughs) And she loved it. So that felt fabulous. And and I've got the soundtrack for her because she loved all the songs. And and we played that quite a bit, you know. So it had a a really positive impact on her, I think, as well. So Beautiful. Well, um, before I start to wrap things up, I've realised that we've Mm. just jumped into talking about this because I'm excited and I've been watching it all recently. I should mention that as this comes out, um, because this is coming out next Wednesday, yeah. All all episodes will be on iPlayer, and or, and episodes will be airing Mondays on BBC Two at ten pm. But do you want to just quickly tell people what Alma's Not Normal is? Because I realise we've not really done that. We've talked about a lot of the subjects and topics, but we've not really given yeah. a rough uh, kind of elevator pitch of here's what the show is. Yeah, so Alma's Not Normal is a sitcom of six episodes where you follow Alma, who's a Boltonian wild child with a chaotic uh, family and life, trying to kind of just get her life on track and achieve her dreams. And all of the women in it are all trying to do the same, doggedly pursue their dreams while kind of dealing with the day-to-day chaos of their lives. Yeah, I I love it. And it's funny. It's an absolute joy. It glows off of the screen as well. It looks beautiful and, uh, yeah... It's constantly entertaining and challenging kind of ideas and and perceptions. So uh, what have been your influences on when making Alma? As I said, I think the BBC have been amazing in recent years with, as mentioned, this country, people just do nothing, man like Mobin, but Channel 4 as well with things like Chewing Gum and all sorts of others where they're they're trusting trusting a, a singular voice. They're trusting yeah, a yeah. creator to go, look, I'm going to be in this. I'm going to write it. I'm going to create this. But just tr- trust me. And new voices as well, new in in the yeah. worlds of TV. So 
were there any people or shows that were influencing you along the way? And was it, you know, did you feel the pressure of going, right, they've given me a lot of faith here? <laughs> I felt really lucky and that's how I wanted it because I'd written the first script in 2014 yeah. um, and I was just so clear on the vision of it. I wanted it to be bright. I wanted the music to have a lot of Riot Girl punk, punk in it. Yeah. You know, and, and like Martha Wayne writing, you know, I put all the, the there's loads of the songs that are in the um, show are, are what I scripted in. So I, I write in kind of a musical filmic way, I think. I, I love that. Everyone, all, all the script note advisors tell you n- not to write the music <laughs> in or whatever. Every script I've written is rammed yeah. with the music of specific, only specific yeah. scenes, but that's how you envision it, right? When you're writing Definitely. it, you're writing it as a as a as this amazing s- s- scene and you have to have the complete scene in mind it's like saying don't put a description mm. of the character in so like, no i need yeah. to know what i'm looking at i need to know what yeah. I'm, I'm i'm putting on page here and you're creating the mood aren't you yeah. and the emotion and you're kind of yeah and that's interesting that it changes sometimes doesn't it in the edit i mean i've yeah. created scenes where i thought would be slightly more you know a moving scene or a bit more slower paced you get in there and you think actually this needs a, a busy loud energetic track and yeah. it changes the whole scene you know for the better yeah and um, so that's always kind of an interesting process isn't it but i think i feel just very lucky really that the bbc have just let me do my thing you know like influences you know carolina hearn the royal yeah. royal family michaela cole chewing gum yeah you know, all these these women, Fleabag, yeah. you know, brilliant sitcom. You know, all these women that are showing other women at the forefront who are flawed as well. Flawed, Back to Life is another women. one I didn't mention in that list of great yeah, things yeah. that the BBC have, have put their, their faith in because I think that's amazing. And Daisy's Daisy. fabulous, yeah. isn't she? She's, yeah. she's fantastic. And again, she's real. She feels yeah, incredibly yeah. real. You sit down and talk to her and you're like, all right, you're <laughs> just doing exactly what you want to do, aren't you? And and the, and, yeah, and they've seen lovely. that they should let you do that, you know. Yeah, and and unusual looking women as well, you know, all a bit unusual. Yeah, none of the women fit the mold in, in what you you expected to see on your screen. Rose Matafeo's another one. She's yeah. just had a series, and she's kind of. But May Martin, yeah, there's oh, some really interesting voices here, isn't amazing, there? Amazing, isn't it? And and oh, it's brilliant. Ashley, Ashley B. B. You know, I, was gonna, I was just going to say, this way up is another one that's just. Yeah, flawless yeah. in how flawed it's allowed to be. If if that makes yeah. any sense, definitely. You're following women that are not uh, perfect or trying to present themselves in, in in a certain way. They were just following them in an honest way, which I think's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I love it. So, I mean, I'll kind of I'll I'll start to to wrap things up then by kind of asking what's ahead because it's it's a big question for you because in a period where your stand up has you know probably had to go on hold because of a pandemic mm. because of all the changes there and the uncertainty over what's ahead but in that period your writing and acting has gone through the roof because you've got this show that's a BAFTA yeah. you've become a BAFTA award winner in this strange time so so what's ahead are you excited to get back to stand up are you focused on on writing are you focused on acting are you yeah what's what's the plan I think I'd probably try and get a second series yeah. and do that, yeah. you know. And then I'd like to do more scripted stuff. I'd like to see 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 what's next, that it might not be so drawn from personal experience but might want to go in different directions. Me and Lem Sissa have been talking about setting up a production company together Love where it. we'd be... Yeah, and the focus on that would be, again, giving you know people the platform to tell stories you know that are personal to them or that draw from their lives 
that we haven't seen on our screens, you know. Um, maybe more career experience stories because there's so many and they're all so different, you know. So yeah. I think we're both passionate about that. And, and, and also, it, it's a funny time, isn't it? Because I've no idea what's, what, what the response will be to, to Alma or what, what will come out of it. So I'm kind of just hanging back, really, till, till the next chapter, till Monday. Until you really. find out, yeah. It's yeah. a mad one. Yeah. Right, the, yeah, that must be a strange limbo to be in at, at this moment. It's a funny limbo. That's why I'm so relieved, in a way, though it's been very intense whirlwind, that they were putting it on so quickly because, yeah. actually, it just means I don't have to wait for months yeah. and think, oh, what's next, you know? It's all going to happen and it's there. Well, to mm. to wrap things up, I realised we touched it's... upon stories of care but didn't go into it much. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Because it sounds like a f- an amazing project and, 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 and thing to be doing. Yes, I do like a 20-week writing course. We've got about 12 to 13 partners and we're Arts Council funding. We do a writing course with co-experienced people and eventually we develop a children's anthology full of short fictional fun stories that have a baseline of, you know, unique family setups and co-experience. That book, this is our second one now, that book um, then gets given out to uh, children in care all over the country Alongside that, we offer sort of artistic mentoring and, and professional development training for the people that are participants, and that continues. So the first project we did in, was in 2015. That was a two-year project, and we're still mentoring those co-experienced people now. And actually, a few of them are now employed by the organisation as company members and running the workshops and different things. So we have that strand. We have other strands. So we have a lead artist that we develop every couple of years that we kind of creates a solo show or creates a stand-up show and they go on tour. I'm wanting to do a new strand of Stories of Kerr. What I do, it's just a very comedy-focused strand. So yeah. I'm hoping to, to kind of develop new voices to tell those stories in comedy. And I think, for me, the power was all about going, not just having stories written about you where you are the subject of children's fiction or the subject of television, but actually you're the one telling the stories. You're the one who owns the story. You're the one who leads the story, I felt, for me was really important and we're the ones who run the organisation. So having previous participants now running it with me, that's very empowering because actually they know more about what it was like to be a participant than I do. So when they're running these workshops, you know, they've they've got a better sort of handle on it than I would have had, you know. So, yeah, it feels a positive thing. I I, I love it. Having seen what you've already achieved and and how you've gone about about it every time in this conversation that you've said something like i'd quite like to do this or i'd quite like to go there i don't have a doubt in my mind that you're going to very much achieve all of those things and uh i'm excited to see all that is ahead so thank you for taking the time thank you thank you for a lovely interview it's been fabulous thank you very much no problem i'm going to press stop there You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Sophie Willen. I hope you enjoyed that. Get on iPlayer. Bring Alma's Not Normal up. Six episodes. Under 30 minutes an episode. You'll be done in three hours. You'll feel all the better for it. Um, Big love to Sophie. Big love to you lot for listening. Big love to everyone who's been raving about 
the Loki episode, the Sam Sprawl episode from last week. Um, I'll be back next week with more goodness. But until then, this has been episode 409 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the wonderful Sophie Willen. Stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.